Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello and you're very welcome to the Letter from Ireland show. Mike Collins here and today's episode is called Ulster Scots and Orange Men. And let me explain a little bit more. So as I record this particular episode, it's the 7th of July 2022. And we're coming up to the 12th of July, which if you were around about Northern Ireland at that time of year, you'd actually notice the actual local, uh, I suppose, unionist, orange, um, president, whatever you want to call them, community starting to actually get very active in terms of marching bands, in terms of colours around uh, bunting and so on around the streets and so on and so forth. Because the 12th of July is that time that actually, uh, I suppose, is kind of a focus date on the orange slash Ulster Scots calendar in Northern Ireland, which very much focuses on the actual uh, victory of uh, uh, Protestantism over Roman Catholicism at the Battle of the Boyne. And it's been a source of contention, of course, for many, many years because these marches that actually take place in and around the actual 12th of July are seen by the actual local unionist community, let's say, or um, Ulster Scots community, as being something that actually celebrates their culture, their heritage. It's an essential right to go marching from any place they want to another place and so on and so forth. And of course, uh, it's often seen, on the other hand, by the local Roman Catholic or Republican, perhaps, community as being showing them the proverbial two fingers. So this is actually, uh, I suppose, toned down quite a lot over the last number of years. And thankfully, thankfully, there's been quite a lot of compromises. But, you know, it's still one of those things that it's it's a very, very hard thing to resolve with those two kind of perspectives on such a heated kind of time of year. Now, what we thought we'd do today, though, is dig in a little bit deeper, and we're going to feature some music that actually has very much links in there with the uh, Ulster Scots community in Northern Ireland and Ulster. And also, we're going to actually get Karina to read two letters. The first one actually looks at the history of the Ulster Scots across Ulster, and their first great, the first great migration, if you want to call it that, in the 1700s, as they left in their droves from the counties of Ulster to head to the colonies of North America. And of course, these are mostly the people who actually became the pioneers, the Davy Crockett's and so on, uh, that we actually saw in, um, I swear in Hollywood, in reality, of course, down through the subsequent decades and centuries. Um, we'll also actually have another letter as well. We'll delve in a little bit deeper into the orange movement, just what it was, how it started up, its significance and so on. But as I mentioned, we're actually going to have some nice music along the way as well. And we're going to start off, I think very appropriately, with a song that's based upon a poem that actually came from the pen of Robbie Burns. Now, it was, I think, a traditional uh, poem at the time, which he very much kind of focused on and made into his own and actually reworded in a very particular way. Now, Robbie Burns was one of those lowland Scots, uh, many of whose compatriots would have become those Ulster Scots that we actually would have seen over there in the Ulster uh, from the 1600s onwards. 
And um, in, indeed, in fact, I think his sister actually married an Irishman and he used to visit Louth quite a lot there in the northeast of the island. I think she was around the town of Dundalk or thereabouts. So without any further ado, let's go over now to Eddie Reader, who gives a beautiful rendition of My Love is Like a Red, Red Rose. Like a red, red rose It's newly sprung in June My heart is like a melody That sweetly plays its tune This fair art thou, my bonnie lad So deep in love am I The seas gang dry till all the seas gang dry, my dear, and the rocks melt with the sun, and I shall love thee still, my dear, though the sands of life shall run, but fair they Fare thee wheel a while And I will come again, my dear For it were ten thousand
By 1775, about 200,000 men, men and women from the counties of Ulster had migrated to the colonies of North America. About half were indentured servants and the majority were Presbyterian of Scottish ancestry. When they arrived, they were simply known as Irish and that is how they saw themselves and later they became labelled as Scots-Irish. Now, why did they leave? Well, the answer is a little complicated and starts with the story of linen. Do you own a piece of linen? And how about Irish linen? Maybe a nice tablecloth or even a cool dress or shirt? Well, a few weeks back, we received the following email from Joan Adams. And Joan wrote to us saying, My ancestor, William Irwin, was born in County Antrim, 1703 and emigrated about 1741. I have long wanted to find out more about him, but I don't really know where to start. Well, Joan, the date of 1741 caught our attention immediately. You see, that was a very difficult year for everybody on the island of Ireland. And here's why. Let's take a look at Ulster linen and the start of this great migration. Flax was grown in Ireland and linen was woven from this flax for many centuries. However, the quality and sizing of this linen meant that it was never in demand from the larger markets across the UK and Europe. From the middle of the 1600s, then, the plantation of Ulster was in full flight. Tenant farmers were enticed from Scotland and the border counties of England to the land taken from native Irish across the Ulster counties of Antrim, Down, Armagh, Derry, Monaghan, Cavan, Tyrone and Donegal. These emigrants brought with them a skill set that was capable of manufacturing linen that was suitable for sale across the markets of Europe. The majority of these weavers and farmers put parts of their farm aside for the growing of flax. By the early 1700s, Huguenots were also offered freedom here from religious persecution on the continent and they brought with them even more sophisticated weaving and manufacturing techniques. Shortly after, the weaving of linen became the main export activity of counties Antrim, Armagh, Down, Monaghan, Derry, Tyrone and Cavan and it even accounted for 25% of all exports from Ireland. While the flax used for manufacturing linen was grown across Ulster, the seed used for the flax was imported from the Baltic states up to the early 1700s. Then in 1731, the colonies of North America were permitted to export the flax seed back to Ireland and to the United Kingdom for the first time. This seed from the colonies was in high demand across the farms of Ulster. Also, as the population of the colonies increased, so too did their demand for that fine linen from the weavers of Ireland. As a result, many ships arrived from the colonies, particularly from Pennsylvania, to the ports of Derry, Newry, Belfast and Coleraine. These boats were loaded up with flaxseed for feeding into the local linen industry. Then they stocked up with a return boatload of fine linen for the growing markets in the colonies. However, the ships were taking a smaller return load of this fine and light linen and the owners looked around 
for additional cargo to take to the colonies on their sparsely loaded ships. The answer they found was people, new emigrants from the north of Ireland to the colonies. The shipping companies went into strong competition with each other to entice the farmers of Ulster to leave their homes of several generations and strike off for a new life in the colonies of North America. But why would these mainly Protestant farmers want to leave their established homes in the province of Ulster for such an uncertain future in the colonies? Well, a combination of factors gave them motive to emigrate to the colonies with the risk of losing so much. You see, many of the original planters from the north of England and Scotland were attracted to Ulster in the first place by the promise of fertile lands and steady rents. They were, by, the, by and large, tenant farmers on land that was owned by the larger and, it must be said, mostly absent English and Scottish lords. As the population and economic stability of Ulster increased, it was accompanied by a steady increase in their rents. And this increase of rents became known as rent racking. A second factor made it nearly impossible to pay these increasing rents. Nowadays, our history tells us mostly about the great Irish famine of the 1840s and Gorta Moor. However, the years between 1726 and 1741 brought a number of droughts and frosts with resulting food shortages that uh, hit famine levels at this time. In 1741 alone, about 20% of the population of the island of Ireland died through famine and related sickness. 1741 was also the year mentioned earlier there that Joan Adams' ancestor, William Irwin, left his life in Ulster for the colonies of North America. You can now see why. He must have left a very harsh life behind him that year. Four years later, in 1775, 200,000 men and women from the counties of Ulster had migrated to the colonies of North America. About half of these were indentured servants and the majority were Presbyterian of Scottish ancestry. When they arrived, they were simply known as Irish and they later became known as Scots-Irish. The Scots-Irish, their colonial attitude and skills made them suitable for living on the frontiers of the new colonies. Western Pennsylvania, the Carolinas, out to Kentucky and Tennessee, where you will still find their ancestors today. This great migration from Ulster to the colonies came to an abrupt end in 1776 with the American Revolution. When I started the letter from Ireland and began a conversation with so many of our readers, I was surprised to find that as many as 20% of all our readers were descendants of these Ulster Scots. I'm a loyal Ulster orange man Just come across the sea 
and for singing and for dancing, sure I hope that I'll please ye. I can sing or dance with any man as I did in days of yore. And it's on the twelfth I love to wear the sash my father wore. Sure it's how the tip is beautiful, and it's how Sash My Father Wore by sung there by Richard Hayward and it's a traditional song that you'll actually find sung all over uh, especially again the Orange uh, slash Unionist community in the north of Ireland at the moment and many other times of year as well and if you listen carefully to the words you get the actual uh, history lesson actually bound up the various battles and so on 
And uh, also, of course, a very particular attitude there through that particular song as well. But, you know, it's it's one of those songs which I think if you were to actually name one associated with the actual Orange uh, community in the north of Ireland, that's probably one that actually would come true very, very strongly. Now, before that, Karina was uh, chatting there about the Ulster Scots and the first great, great migration to the US and chatting about the ways and I suppose the motivations why they might have left the counties of Ulster in the first place and headed to a new life in a new world. And before that, again, we had My Love is Like a Red, Red Rose, uh, sung there by Eddie Reader from the pen of Robbie Burns. Now we're going to move on to another letter where Karina is actually going to investigate just what is behind the actual orange movement and uh, share a little bit more with you. So over to you now, Karina. Have you ever seen the tricolour flag of the Irish Republic? It has three sections, green, white and orange. It was designed in the mid 1800s and is meant to signify peace that's the white colour, between the Republican, green, and the Unionist, orange, traditions on this island. July 12th is a date that is commemorated in parts of Ulster as the Glorious Twelfth, or the anniversary of the Battle of the Boyne, and it is normally celebrated with marching bands by parts of the Unionist community in the north. Sectarian tensions are heightened as these bands sometimes choose to march through areas occupied by members of the Republican community. To understand the marching tradition, let's take a step back and share some history and perspective on this marching tradition. A tradition that many from outside this island and many inside sometimes find hard to understand. Do you have any ancestors that come, uh, came from the counties of Ulster? I know that many of our readers on the weekly letter from Ireland and some Green Room members have ancestors who arrived in Ulster from Scotland and England before departing for the colonies many generations later. With the arrival of Protestant, English and Scottish settlers in Ulster from the early 1600s, we ended up with two very divergent populations each with a strong belief that the land rightfully belonged to them. These two groups were pitted against each other in one of the biggest experiments of social engineering in history, the plantation of Ulster. We arrived ourselves in the city of Armagh in July a few years back, just in time for what is known as marching season. This season culminates on the glorious 12th of July, which marks the anniversary of the Battle of the Boyne. These celebrations are led by members of the Orange Order across much of Ulster. But what is this Orange Order? Let's take a closer look. Towards the end of the 1600s, there was a chance that the Catholic James of the United Kingdom might regain the throne taken from him by the Protestant William of Orange. In 1690, the two forces met on the shores of the River Boyne near the town of Drogheda in County Louth and on that day the forces of William, the Protestant, won a resounding victory. So the Protestant ascendancy across Ireland was assured going into the 18th century. Now one of the tools employed by the English administration of the time was a set of laws that encouraged all residents of Ireland to join the established Protestant Church of Ireland. 
These became known as the penal laws and forbade non-adherence to the established church to hold office or professions as well as putting them at a disadvantage in commercial transactions. So for much of the early part of the 18th century, the target of these punitive laws were not only Roman Catholic, but also Presbyterian. By the 1780s, Armagh then was both a prosperous county and also one of the most highly populated counties in Ireland. The estimated population in Ireland in 1672 was 1.1 million. By the time of the Great Famine in the 1840s, Ireland's population had risen to 8 million. This rise in population illustrates the pressure that must have been felt on the farms and society of County Armagh by the late 1700s. Add to this pressure, the penal laws were now being relaxed for the first time in almost a century. And this must have made the native Protestant population feel very anxious indeed. So fights over the tenancy of land became a feature of market days and much of the hostility was organised along sectarian lines. On the Catholic side, the gangs were organised into a group known as the Defenders and the Protestant sides were known as the Peep O'Day Boys. This all came to a head in September 1795. The rival factions gathered to fight in the Diamond in the village of Loch Gaul, County Armagh, just five miles from where we were visiting in, the Arma, in Armagh City. The People Day Boys, that's the Protestant side, dominated and the defenders of the Catholic side lost 30 men on the day. After their victory, the People Days went to the house of James Sloan and founded the Orange Order. It was to be a Protestant fraternal organisation of lodges formed to defend the Protestant citizens of Armagh and beyond. Their first marches were held in July 1796 in the Armagh towns of Portdown and Lurgan and they celebrated the victory of the Battle of the Boyne. This has been a tradition that has been maintained to the present day. At its peak in 1965, membership of the Orange Order was about 70,000, but that number has dropped to about 35,000 today. However, North Armagh retains a high membership of the Orange Order, organised across 168 lodges. Many people find it hard to understand how an organisation such as the Orange Order still exists today. Their sectarian reason for being, the tradition of marching, the wearing of provocative emblems, all of these can trigger extreme reactions. For some, they are a proud symbol of a shared heritage, and for others, they are a provocative sectarian group. For many more, they are historical anomaly and inconsequential within a modern secular society. The pipes are calling from glen to glen and down the mountainside. The summer's gone and all the flowers. 
Isn't that the song we think of when we think about an Irish song? And of course, many, many renditions of that beautiful song uh, throughout the pubs, not just of Ireland, but uh, lots and lots of pubs around the world actually um, associated with Ireland. And it's one of those songs as well. I think if you were to ask anyone of the traditions and cultures on the island of Ireland to actually belt out a song, that's one that actually would come out. Beautiful, beautiful song. Um, also, I think it's a very appropriate song to finish on because, of course, it's known as Danny Boy colloquially, but also the Derriere, the London Derriere. And it's, again, it's just one of those songs, at least in my mind, binds together all the cultures and traditions on this particular island and reminds us of what we actually have in common. Sung, of course, by Eva Cassidy, unfortunately no longer with us, Cassidy being a very fine Irish name as well, although I think she was actually born and brought up in the USA. 
Now, that's it, folks. That's our, I suppose, kind of celebration, notation, uh, education, whatever you want to call it, uh, around the actual 12th of July. We're looking there at Ulster Scots and Orange Men. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Hope you're, hope you're entertained and hope you learned a little along the way as well. So remember, if you want to find out a little bit more, you can go to our show notes at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash 727 that's a letter from ireland.com forward slash 727 now if you did enjoy today's show we'd love to hear a review love to hear whatever you think uh wherever you're actually playing this at the moment sometimes if you're inside for example apple podcast just scroll to the bottom of all the shows and you can leave a review or indeed actually if you're inside our um blog at the moment you can leave a review at the bottom of the blog as well or inside the green room you choose whichever we'd love to hear what you think so that's it from myself mike and karina hope you enjoyed this week's show and looking forward to chatting again next week Slán for now if you've enjoyed today's letter from ireland show we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area the green room you hear us mention it a lot during the show and you can find full details of the green room at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage, because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The green room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán Gafol, Karina. <laughs>